Hi everyone, welcome to the Junior Economist Espresso podcast, where we talk about all things business and economics. We're your hosts, Anna Lucia Hilson and Derek Urquitz. Today, we're going to be interviewing a member of the Junior Economic Club of New York City. Our guest is a student at the Bronx High School of Science and here to talk about his article, The Double-Edged Sword of Market Confidence, in this month's edition of both the New York City and International Junior Economist. Let's welcome Youngbin Song. Hi, Youngbin. It's so lovely to have you here with us today. We really loved your article this month. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Youngbin's article, it focused on the effect of market corrections on investments with high beta coefficients. Youngbin, would you mind giving our listeners the definition of a high beta coefficient investment and explaining why these investments are particularly affected by market corrections? All right. So, um, yeah. So the beta coefficient is basically a measure of sensitivity in a company's stock price to movement in the market. It's an indicator of the stock systematic risk, which is the undiversifiable risk inherent in the financial system as a whole. And the specific stocks that I mentioned in my articles were Tesla, NEO, and AMD, um, which had pretty high beta coefficient relative to you know, other well-known stocks. Um, and so the reason why they're, I guess, important in um, you know, assessing how the market is doing and how they're doing is because that value, I guess, of beta coefficient determines how they're going to be affected um, in relation to the broader market. So I gave an example uh, in my article. If say a stock or if the stock market is down say 20% and there's a stock, um, let's say, let's call it stock A. Stock A has a beta coefficient of 2.0. 2.0 means uh, in comparison with the broad market. So let's say the S&P 500, it's going to, um, follow that same performance by two times. So if it's down 20%, um, the stock A will be down 40%. Or if it's or if the S&P 500 is up, say 10%, uh, stock A will be up 20%. What do you find interesting about this topic? Yeah, so um, a little step back, I'm really interested in the M&A industry or the mergers and acquisitions financial industry. So I've been following the market a lot. Uh, the whole stock market and the financial industry is such a blast for me to study. And so beta coefficient in specific is something that I've came across when I was studying uh, Markowitz's, uh, I guess, portfolio management theories. Um, and it's a very crucial aspect of his um, CAPM model, uh, also known as the capital asset pricing model. And that's how he, I guess, or suggested um, one should... Uh, utilize to create an optimal um, portfolio of, of securities. It's, a, it's an assessment of, you know, risk and expected profits. And so he basically used beta coefficient as this big equation um, to create maximum profit for, for the average uh, stock trader. Great. So your article's title is The Double-Edged Sword of Market Confidence. Could you explain what the two sides to this metaphorical sword are and why they are important? Yeah, of course. So the reason why I said it's a double-edged sword of market confidence is because um, there's several sides to it, actually. Well, first, 
you know, people see, you know, Keith Gill or Rowan Kitty uh, as his aliases. Um, you know, they, they see his immense profit. They see their friends online on Reddit or whatever, you know, gain these immense, you know, as they call it, tendies. <laughs> but, um, you know, they, they see that side to this whole part of market confidence. People are very um, happy about the market. People are, are uh, they, they think everything's going very smooth. You know, it's going awesome. Um, and, and it is. Um, but the other side to it is that when there is too much of uh, market confidence, it becomes overconfidence. <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is that leads to um, possible substantial capital losses for certain investors. And the reason why is because um, especially novice investors, uh, they tend to pick high beta coefficient stocks um, that tend to uh, produce high profits, but at the same time also produce um, I guess high losses. Uh, and because of that um, spectrum of uh, you know, risk, you can earn a lot, but you can also lose a lot. Now, if you if you gain like forty percent, cool. But if you if you're down forty percent, it takes so much more to get back up to break even. In your article, you describe irrational exuberance during the dot-com bubble and compare the investor frenzy during that period to the current investor behavior. What do you think is driving this bubble-like behavior? Yeah, so according to Alan Greenspan, the former chairman of the Federal Reserve during, uh, during the dot-com bubble, he basically attributed that rise of the bubble uh, to irrational exuberance. Um, and so... If you don't know what irrational exuberance is, it's basically referring to um, the state of man mania in the st stock market, where investors are so bullish that their market optimism lacks the foundation of a sound fundamental valuation and is instead based on inflated expectations for the future. Um, and while uh, the current stock market has not yet reached that level of same uh, irrational exuberance uh, exhibited in the dot-com era, uh, we're still kind of um, exhibiting that same uh, particular pattern that we've um, had during during that time, um, and, and that's uh, you know that's a combination of high speculation, um, trading fads, um, and just the pure ignorance of traditional metrics of stock analysis. And so that irrational behavior um, was what really caused the dot com bubble. And so during this period in time. With that same behavior exhibited in contemporary times, uh, specifically in the um, SPAC companies, the special purpose acquisition companies, uh, the EV industry or the electric vehicle industry, and the cryptocurrency market, um, it's very similar to what we saw in the speculative behaviors with the internet companies or the dot-com companies in the um, uh, late 1990s. And so it's a combination of um, ignoring the P ratios, Know, ignoring the beta coefficient values, um, ignoring if they're overvalued or undervalued, you know, just buying it for the sake of uh, following that trend or, or biting into that FOMO. Thank you so much for that. that. Obviously, that was a wonderful answer. And thank you so much for all of your answers and for coming on today. We loved hearing your perspective on the writing process and on your specific topic. And we obviously 
Hope to hear a lot more from you in the future and can't wait to read your articles. Now we are going to turn to some of the week's economic news. What's been going on and what to pay attention to. We'll be looking at the COVID relief bill, the stimulus package, the the controversy behind Amazon, and China's projected economic growth. Stimulus packages have finally gone out to eligible recipients. A single person that qualifies will receive $1,400, while families with children will get up to $3,000 in tax credit. The IRS has already sent out the first batch of payments via direct deposit and is expected to send out more shortly. Many companies are turning their backs to Amazon. Allbirds is one of the companies leading this initiative. If you're from the NYC area, you may have seen the Sustainable Shoe Company's brick-and-mortar location in Soho. Both big brands and small are banding together to boycott Amazon, in part due to the long-time allegations of a poor workplace environment, but also because they are taking away from in-person retail and hurting new business, especially during this time of reopening and recovery. Goldman Sachs, a bank, recently stated that in Britain, the quote Amazon effect has absolutely destroyed in-person business and is even cutting into e-commerce. In other news, Chinese officials announced their plan to achieve a 6% growth target and produce more technological advancements in the coming year. Amidst international economic issues surrounding the coronavirus, China's economy grew an outstanding 6.5% in the fourth quarter of 2020. They plan to adhere to their promises of green development and, quote, enhance their scientific and technological capabilities. There are some very big things happening to the economy, both in the United States and abroad, and we'll be sure to update you all with any upcoming news in the future. So now that we've heard some international news, let's focus on some JEC news. We are starting up our ambassador program. Ambassadors work with the director of ambassadors and the board of directors to increase member engagement within the JEC. Ambassadors are expected to be active members, participating in and leading events and workshops, as well as fulfilling a larger attendance requirement. Additionally, the JEC will be hosting an entrepreneurship summer program with Yale and Brown University Professor Alden Richards and a political fellowship program with city council candidate Elizabeth Adams. If you are interested in any of these opportunities and more, be sure to check your email for monthly newsletters, board emails, and of course, the Junior Economist Espresso. Be sure to follow our Instagrams at at JC New York City and at NYC Junior Economist. Special thanks to Christelle Cadillac for assisting us with the script and Micaiah Turner-Hicks for editing the audio. Thank you for tuning in to the Junior Economist Espresso Podcast. I'm Eric Erkwitz. And I'm Anna Lucia. And that was your bi-weekly espresso.